In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was a looked all to something shocking. But now God knows anything goes. Good offers too, who once knew better words, now only used for letter words, writing prose. Anything goes. All right, in our third and final segment today, we're going to first start off by correcting our obituary of last week, as we mentioned at the top of the show. The bumper music you just heard was the title track from Cole Porter's Immortal Anything Goes. And unlike Dr. Andy Jones, we seldom venture into the realm of poetry on this program, but I gotta say, even Dr. Andy would have to appreciate the lyrics that Cole Porter put to that tune. Even a Philistine such as myself can recognize that that's some good poetry. Good authors, too who once used better words, now only use four-letter words, writing prose. That's pretty good. But we went wrong in citing the Mrs. Astor in the lyrics of You're the Top as the late Brooke Astor. We want to thank Ed for his email on the subject, as well as our next guest, one of the two hosts of KDVS's Saturday Morning Folk Show, Robin Fox. Robin, welcome to Radio Parallax. Well, thank you for having me. Well, we're, we're glad to have you, and it's about time we had the other half of the Saturday Morning Folk Show on, because Bill has preceded you on, on Radio Parallax. Bill has preceded me in many areas. Well, no doubt. He's an adventurous fellow. He gets written up for his hosting parties and things, and like many DJs here, I guess. Yes, he does do that. We have a good relationship, and it's a lot of fun. Good. Well, I should point out to listeners that uh, I no sooner made this statement about uh, about you're the top and uh, the late Brooke Astor when uh, you were ringing up the phones over down in the, in the basement of Freeborn Hall. That's right. I was listening at my desk at work and heard that and said, oh, no, the great <laughs> Doug Everett got something little off. <clears throat> By the way, do, do they listen to our show over at Merrick Hall? Not during normal business hours. But, the, but you're over at 5, right? That's right. So right. I had it on. Okay. And that, that's when the radio's over at Merck. Tune in to KDVS. Well, yes. Okay. We do like it. Well, anyway, uh, I, I appreciate the, the call and the fact that we're now going to straighten out for listeners what we got wrong last week, that there was apparently some other Mrs. Astor in the 1930s that struck the fancy of Cole Porter. Yes. Lady Astor that Cole Porter liked was a different branch of the family from Brooke Astor, and she was actually the first woman to sit in Parliament in England. So she how? was not the first woman elected, but she was the first woman to sit in Parliament. Well, was she a British subject? Well, you can't sit in Parliament unless you're British. That's right. Her husband, William Waldorf Astor, his family moved to England in the early 1900s. And she Probably moved to England. Probably just American taxes, I'm imagining. I have no idea. All right. <laughs> but Nancy Witcher who was newly divorced, moved to England, and she met William Waldorf Astor, and they married, and she was very active and very upper class and active. And she got herself elected to Parliament, and unlike the first woman who got elected to the House of Commons, Nancy actually sat in the House of Commons. And gained a following for her... Outspokenness, um, her support of certain levels of prohibition. She raised the drinking age in England to 18. What was it before? Lower. <laughs> Evidently. So presumably this, uh, this Mrs. Astor's exploits caught the, uh, the eye and the ear of Cole Porter. Yes. Uh, amongst other things, Cole Porter loved 
witty words, and she was a prize at it. And she was known for her verbal sparring with different people, especially Winston Churchill. Well, I'm thinking of, Winston, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your soup. It's been attributed as coffee. She would put arsenic in his coffee, and he responded with, Madam, if I were your husband, I would drink it. And that was Our Lady Aster. That was the Lady Aster. And I'm thinking of the another legendary exchange where a drunk Churchill is addressed with, Winston, you're drunk. You're very, very drunk. To which apparently he replied, Madam, you're ugly. You're very, very ugly. And I shall be sober in the morning. Uh, is that right? I think I got that right. I don't know, but I have seen, a, in doing this, I've seen a picture of a, a sergeant portrait of her, and she was absolutely gorgeous. Hmm. And her sister was the model for the Gibson girl. Her sister Mary Gibson, the artist. Her sister was the Gibson girl? Yes. Oh. We'll have to come back and talk about that sometime. Turn of the century art. How fun. Robin Fox, thank you for joining us and clarifying this little error we made. We do like to keep things accurate. It was my pleasure. Thank you. All the little birds on Jaybird Street love to hear the robin go tweet, 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 robin, robin, tweet, tweet, rock, tweet, rock, tweet, robin, tweet, tweet, we'll go rock and robin, cause we're really gonna rock tonight, tweet, tweet, rock. And I want to thank Mr. McMillan for that spectacular <laughs> bit of bumper music. We'll just try and keep Robin away from the steak knives for a few minutes while we remind you that you should listen in to the Saturday Morning Folk Show with Robin Fox, alternating with Bill Wagman every Saturday morning here at KDVS. Both Bill and Robin do a great job. All right, we have two other obituaries for this segment. The first is Michael Deaver. Johanna Newman, writing in the Los Angeles Times, wrote that Michael Deaver crafted the aura of the Reagan presidency. Deaver passed away this weekend at his home in Bethesda, Maryland at the age of 69. He'd been battling pancreatic cancer. Deaver was known as Magic Mike for polishing the images of both Ronald and Nancy Reagan. Deaver followed the couple from the governor's mansion here in Sacramento to the White House in Washington and is credited with all but inventing the photo op. I mean, there was a time when uh, a president who wished to address the press would hold a press conference. Of course, the problem is presidents vary in their ability to interact with the press. And I, I think it may be available on the web, but I certainly would recommend, uh, dear listener, that you get a copy of um, a collection of John F. Kennedy press conferences. They are startling to look at in retrospect as the president came out, went to the dais, and fielded questions from the press corps. Oh, yes, and by the way, non-scripted uh, questions from the press corps. Uh, K JFK was absolutely amazing in how he would have the facts at his fingertips, he could present the data clearly, and he was funny. In the years that followed, well, LBJ wasn't so good with the press and soon came to regard them as the enemy. Richard Nixon certainly did. So as things devolved by the 1980s, uh, the Reagan team definitely did not want to put their man out to actually answer questions. When, uh, when Reagan would speak off the cuff, uh, the, the results were sometimes disastrous. For example, the time when President Reagan during a trip to Moscow fielded a question from uh, a student who asked him about the U.S. treatment of Native Americans, to which he replied, Maybe we should not have humored them referring to when they supposedly asked to live on reservations. Maybe we should have said, no, 
Come join us. Be citizens along with the rest of us. Of course, students of history will recall that that's not how Indians wound up on reservations. At any rate, Michael Deaver solved this problem by having the president come out and have a photo op. For example, around Thanksgiving time, uh, smiling Ronald Reagan will be photographed coming out to stand next to the White House turkey. And and no, we, we don't mean Vice President George Bush. No, Reagan would come out, stand next to the holiday gobbler, and then give it a presidential pardon. Deaver was a master of this. In fact, uh, when a Bill Moyers special some years back, they interviewed Leslie Stahl, who talked about how she did a rather critical piece of some Reagan maneuvers regarding a labor bill, which Michael Deaver got aired on the evening news, transposed against Reagan in a bar in Boston, hoisting a beer or two with some average Joes. Now, Leslie Stahl thought that they'd got on the news a rather critical piece of the president. Afterwards, she was surprised to get a call from Mike Deaver thanking her for her coverage. When asked about it later, a smiling Deaver, rather smirking Deaver, just said, you know, I was just glad they aired our pictures. He added, they can say anything they want as long as they air our pictures. Because in his opinion, when it came to the battle between the eye and the ear, The eye wins every time. Johanna Newman uh, quoted Mark McKinnon, a political consultant who helped steer George W. Bush's first presidential campaign. He told the LA Times a few years back, Deaver plowed a lot of ground that we now tread. He was one of the first guys to understand the power of media, of pictures, and images. His flawless backdrops of President Reagan in a divided Berlin, demanding that Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev tear down this wall, was legendary. When, uh, when Mr. Reagan finally got to Washington, Mike Deaver was deputy chief of staff, described as one of a troika of aides who ran the Reagan presidency in its early years. The other two, if you're keeping score, were chief of staff James A. Baker III, who later gave us the George Herbert Walker presidency, and Edwin Meese III, attorney general in the Reagan years. And there can be no doubt that Mike Deaver was pretty good at his job. Kathleen Hall Jamison, dean of the Annenberg School of Communication at the University of Pennsylvania, once said, we remember the Reagan presidency through those stunning visuals. For his part, Deaver minimized his influence. The only thing I did is light him well, he often said. My job was filling up the space around the head. I didn't make Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan made me. Unfortunately, in 1986, Deaver succumbed to the temptation to capitalize on his status as the man who made Reagan, so much that he posed for an infamous Time magazine cover where he was sitting in the backseat of a limo with a car phone pressed to his ear with the Capitol Dome visible out the window. Deaver thus became the poster child for Time's story on influence peddling in Washington. The cover caused a furor, reinforcing public suspicion about a revolving door between government service and get-rich consultancy. Gee, and aren't you glad that now, 20 years on, we've gotten that behind us? Anyway, in the wake of Deaver being cited as an influence peddler, he sought to stem the damage by calling for an independent counsel. Surprisingly, in this case, uh, one actually did something. Within a year, Deaver had been convicted of three counts of perjury and sentenced to 1,500 hours of community service and a $100,000 fine. Of course, he'd already made several million dollars in his consultancy firm, so the $100,000 probably didn't hurt him too badly. 
And I do love the fact that Deaver insisted he was innocent and that his faulty memory when answering questions stemmed from his alcoholism. Anyway, there can be no doubt that Michael Deaver was a genius in the art of public relations. Although the thing that sticks in my mind about Deaver was, uh, was a comment he made during an interview, and I'm not sure it was the same time they were talking about the, uh, the Leslie Stahl photos, but he was discussing the Reagan presidency, specifically the role of Nancy Reagan in putting Ronald into the White House, because it was always rumored that, uh, th- that Reagan himself did not have that fire in the belly he needed to make himself president, but that rather he was goaded by his wife. Without elaborating on it, Deaver sort of shook his head and just sort of said, well, if, if people only knew what an influence Nancy Reagan had been on her husband. And uh, although Deaver did pen a number of bestsellers about the Reagans, I'm not sure he really ever outlined that. If any of you out there have read uh, these works, let us know what's in them by sending an email to info at radioparallax.com. And it looks like we're out of time and are not going to get to our second obituary, which is uh, that of Merv Griffin. So we'll talk about Merv on next week's program, and we think he's deserving of mention, if for no other reason than the fact that he was the man who originated Jeopardy. Our thanks to uh, fellow KDVS DJ Robin Fox and former KDVS general manager Paul Shramsky, as well as Radio Parallax's new liaison to the Sacramento News and Review, Jennifer Davidson. This program was produced, as they all are, by Edward McMillan. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We'll see you next week at the same time.